0: Well, let's turn together to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, and we will be starting today in verse 6. You know, Spurgeon said, a man who preached through the scriptures for 60 years and whose sermons filled over 60 volumes, he said, you can never exhaust the scriptures, even him, they deepen and widen through the years. And that is certainly true here in Romans 10. We've already been through this passage once, if you remember the Sunday before Easter when we focused on sharing our faith, on naming the name that brings him near. We saw the power of the word of Christ and in particular of the name of Christ, the power of naming the name. Name the name, that was the title of the sermon, as the most simple evangelistic technique that you will ever learn. (laughs) Because as Paul says here, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, whose bare essential is the name of Christ. But Paul's talking here not just about salvation, he's also talking about sanctification. If you remember, in the verses just before, he uh, focused on the tyranny of works righteousness, the tyranny of the self-made identity. We saw that it's a pattern of living where you feel like it's all up to you to make yourself like Christ. In stark contrast to what we'll be looking at today, uh, what he was preparing us for as he talked about the tyranny of the self-made identity that led up to these verses, and that is in our verses for today, the simplicity, the liberty of what Paul calls the righteousness that comes by faith, where all you have to do is call, both for salvation and for sanctification all you do have to do is call as i've titled this message on the same verses (laughs) winter spring summer or fall remember james taylor's song back in the 60s you've got a friend i believe it was so popular back then because it taps in to the a deep need that's in the heart and soul of us all one that only christ can satisfy When you're down in trouble, then you need a helping hand and nothing, woe, nothing is going right. Close your eyes, Christ says, and think of me and soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest nights. You just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. If the sky above you should turn dark and full of clouds and that old north wind should begin to blow, keep your head together and call my name out loud and soon I will be knocking upon your door. You just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running to see you again. And then the chorus, winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you have to do is call and I'll be there. Yes, I will. You've got a friend just as we sing, Jesus, savior, what a friend. And all you have to do is call. That's one of the most famous songs of the 60s. And we come today to one of the most famous lions in all of scripture, and rightfully so, because it teaches exactly that, believe it or not, exactly that about God. Romans 10, 6, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're going to see today that this is the secret key to unlocking any predicament, any problem in life. And best of all, it's how we're saved, not only from the penalty of sin, it's how we're saved from the power of sin. It's how we go from righteousness uh, imputed, as the theologians say, to righteousness imparted. That is from justification when we're saved to sanctification after we're saved. Where not only does he reckon us righteous, it's how he makes us righteous. And again, it's in Romans 10, starting in verse six, where Paul says, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches on all who call. On all who call on him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This passage is about both by coming to faith, again, and living by faith. And both happen by calling by faith on him. The passage divides into two very simple parts, God's stimulus and our response. First, God's stimulus, which is the word of Christ, starting in verse six. This is how the New Living Bible puts it. The righteousness based on faith says, you don't need to go to heaven, that is to find Christ and bring him down to help you. And it says, you don't need to go to the place of the dead, that is to bring Christ to life again. No, he's already done it all. What he's saying is, you don't have to impress me. You don't have to perform heavenly feats of spirituality or hellish depths of self-sacrifice like he did. You don't have to ascend into heaven or descend into hell like Christ did to become the person that I want you to be or to find me so I can help you. No, rather, next verse, verse eight, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Who will bring Christ down? Who will bring him up? Who will bring him near to save us? The answer to that question is this. He's near you and available to you whenever you hear his word and do the right thing with the stimulus uh, 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 and that is your response and that is to call on him. The same word is near us and all around us that created the world to recreate us. Because you see, all he can do for us, all he wants us to do, comes through his word to us. We wouldn't have even known to call without his word. That's God's stimulus. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That's why our first value as a church is to be biblically grounded, uh, reading, studying, teaching, and obeying God's word as our foundation. Without it, we're lost. It's the word of God that turns the church of God into like a a greenhouse for growth. It's through the word that all he wants us to be comes to us like on a silver platter. It's not just to the general geographical area where we live, no, he's put it in our hearts if we receive it and on the tip of our tongues. Because far from being able to ascend or descend by some great spiritual feat, according to Paul, we can't even get out of the door, out of our flesh. As we saw in Romans 7, the most we can do is open the door, just like we sang, and receive something that he's laid right at the door, and even that's by his power. The most we can do is open our mouth to confess something that by his word he's put right on the tip of our tongue, and even that's by his power. We need that degree of help or we're lost. Can't do it on our own. That's a tyranny. Which leads us now to how believing and confessing work out in practice by calling. And he begins by telling us what he means by saving. We actually read, just read about it, so let's pick it up again in verse eight. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he goes on to tell us that he's talking here about not just being saved from the penalty of sin, again, but from the power of sin. Here's how we know it. It's in the next verse, verse 10. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The literal translation is this. For with the heart man believes to or toward righteousness. And with the tongue he confesses to or toward salvation. The The word in the Greek is ace, E-I-S, which means literally toward, as in moving in some direction. As in a destination you don't get to Immediately. It can also not a point in time, but a process. The idea being we have not arrived once we become Christians. No, we are going toward righteousness and toward salvation because it's a lifelong process. This uh, among other places in scripture is where we get the saying that we're saved from the penalty of sin when we're uh, justified, but that's not the end of salvation according to scripture. We're saved from the power of sin as we're sanctified. And one day he'll save us from the very presence of sin when we're glorified, it's all salvation. And righteousness is a process too. It's imputed when we're justified, the righteousness of Christ, where he reckons us as righteous in him, but it's actually imparted uh, the more we're sanctified as more and more he makes us righteous. God reckons it unto us when it comes to righteousness, when we first believe, but he releases it unto us the more we believe. Because with the heart a man believes, ace, two, toward righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, ace, two, toward salvation from sin. So the question is this, it's the question that he asked the Galatians, oh foolish Galatians. And we're all foolish in this way, Galatians 3.1. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh by your own doing in a tyranny? of self-righteousness. This is so important that God devoted the whole of Galatians to it. You gave him control of your life when you believed that only he could make you righteous before God. So who's doing it now? You believed for righteousness way back when, and sure enough, he imputed it. But are you believing toward righteousness right now so he can impart it? You believed him for salvation from the penalty of sin, but are you believing him towards salvation for the power, from the power of sin? You believed him for justification, but are you now believing him toward sanctification? This verse calls us back, putting it in its near context of Romans, to the, to the overarching theme of the book of Romans. Um, back, back to Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Famous verse again, rightfully so. For it is the power of God, and then same word, ace, two, towards salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then the Greek, and then he makes sure he knows we know that, he's under, that, that, we, uh, that we understand what he's saying which is the same thing we just got through. He said, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, one step after another. Which means it's by faith from first to last for both justification and sanctification by the simplicity of faith righteousness, not the tyranny of works righteousness. The Christian life is by faith from beginning to end. As it is written, Paul continues on in the same verse the righteous shall what? Live. live by faith. That's the overarching theme of this whole book. The wicked shall find life by faith, and the righteous shall live by faith. Or as Paul said in Galatians, the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the fact is that we are as desperately dependent on the power of the gospel as Christians as we were before we became Christians. We are still sinners who are saved from the penalty of sin by grace and who continue to be saved from the presence of sin to be sanctified by grace alone through faith. There's not a man, woman, or child on the face of this earth who gains their righteousness when coming to Christ except by faith. And there is not a man, woman, or child on the face of this earth who grows in righteousness except by faith because it's by God, by faith, from first to last. That's the clarion call of the Reformation which is just what we see back in our passage for today, having looked at it in the overall context of Romans, as we continue now in verse 10. For with a heart man believes toward to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses to salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And when we are disappointed, it's often because we've forgotten how we're saved, whoever we are. Moving on, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That is salvation is available to all men and it's the same for all men. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all. And now he gets to the heart of the application who call on him. Paul puts the cookies on the lowest shelf here. He knows we're children and we forget the simplest things. Having talked about confessing and believing, he gets the cookings on the lowest shelf by telling us what it looks like in the doing, and that is simply by calling. The bottom line of which is this when it comes to being delivered from the power of our sin and into the riches of his righteousness, we have not because we ask not. My mother loved to tell the story of a poor immigrant who was given free passage way back at the turn of the century on a ship to America, which was like free passage to heaven back then, which of course was great, but the hard thing was this, smelling the food day after day, three times a day, the food that they cooked up for all the paying passengers. He just brought along some bread and a few other scraps, and it Wasn't until the last day of the trip that the poor guy, half starved, couldn't stand it anymore because they were cooking his favorite food, fried chicken, and the aroma of it filled the, the whole ship. And so he went to the steward and asked if there was any way that he could just have one piece of fried chicken. Well, the steward asked him for his ticket, took one look at it and said, of course you can. This ticket is for room and board. It includes the food but he never asked for it until the last day of the journey. Are you asking for it every day of your journey? Are you going daily to the steward, to the Lord who is abounding in riches, verse 12, to all who call on him? All of us are poor immigrants, pilgrims, who've been given free passage to heaven that includes the food. And every day on that passage through every moment of the day his riches are available on a silver platter through his word without which we wouldn't have any of it. To all who ask for them who combine the word and prayer who combine what the ticket promises and what the steward delivers through the word and prayer. Do you Want the promises to be true for you? Well, believing prayer based on the word is the incantation that brings him near. Calling on him is so important that Paul repeats it in verse 13. Again, starting in verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. And then he says it again in the next verse. And he doesn't just repeat it. He reinforces it through God's word as he already has three times so far to back what he's been saying. He reinforces it through God's word, um, through quoting from the Old Testament. He does that in verses 6, 7, 8, and 11. And then in verse 13, he quotes from Joel 2:23 to bolster this teaching again to show that it's been this way from the beginning. What I'm about to read has become one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and rightfully so, because it's so critical. But it's the tip of an iceberg. Romans 10, 13, last verse for today, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, second time he says, will be saved. Yeah, all, all you have to do is call. This is a characteristic way from Genesis to Revelation that scripture talks about believers. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the, it's the characteristic action and demonstration of being a Christian that you'll see again and again all through scripture. And that is they are those who call on him. All we have to do with the word that he's laid at the door of our heart is to believe it. And all we have to do with the word that he's put on the tip of our tongue is to confess it before him. And when the rubber meets the road, what what it looks like in practice, what it sounds like, what brings the believing in your heart and the confessing with your lips together for the empowering of your life is to call on the name of the Lord that it would be so in your life. Donald K. Barnhouse was the great preacher and theologian who pastored 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He put it all together, believing and confessing and calling, when he put it this way. To call on the name of the Lord is to believe all that the name of the Lord stands for, and to recognize that there is no strength in ourselves, but that all power dwells in him, and to commit ourselves to him in faith, desiring that he should act for us as we confess our need. John Wesley put it this way. Every command in the Bible is is covered by a promise. There is the closest connection between the law uh, and the gospel. The law requires us to love God, to love our neighbor, to be meek, humble, and holy. He delivers it to us in his word, to the door of our heart. But we feel we are not sufficient for these things. Yea, that with man this is impossible but we hear the good news of the gospel, the promise of God to give us that love and humility and meekness and holiness and we lay hold of this gospel and call on him and behold, it is done unto us according to our faith. You see, when it comes right down to it, calling is about all we can do, just like when we were saved. All we can do is is call home for help. You say, You say, Lord, I just took the second look at that woman. Save me. You say, Lord, my thoughts are so prideful right now. Save me. You say, Lord, there's such such anger in me right now. Save me. You take it out of autopilot, and you don't just lash out. No, you interrupt it with a prayer. Lord, I'm I'm afraid to tell the truth right now. Save me. It was Peter's prayer as he was sinking into the sea. Right then and there at his point of greatest need when he began to sink, it says, he cried out, he called out, Lord, save me. My father called this an arrow prayer. And he said it's a model for us all, all through life, and it works. Because Peter is the very picture of of what we've been talking about today. And that is this, making live contact with him in utter dependence on him at the moment of our greatest need by simply calling on him. You might not see the results right away, but if over the course of a lifetime you do that on a regular basis, it'll make all the difference in the world and you've been doing that especially if you're in a church which through the word of God is a a greenhouse for growth. Yeah, sometimes you'll find yourself calling for help till you're blue in the face, but he wants you to know that if, if you persist, he will come through in his time, in his way, step by step from faith to faith to help you grow. Now, this is so important that as I've already just alluded to, you see this all through the Old Testament, which is why Paul quoted it so often here in Romans 10, and verses 6, 7, 8, 11, and 13. In Joel 2.23, the verse that Paul quotes at the very end in verse 13 um, about calling on him, uh, is just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, it's so important, just one example that by far the longest prayer in the Bible, Psalm 119, is all about calling on him in this way. It's it's all about looking at his law, at his commandments, at his statutes, as he says, at his word, and saying, Lord, help me to be that way. It's all through Psalm 119, where every verse makes mention of the word of God, and every verse is a prayer. There it is. The 157 verses of Psalm 119 is a gymnasium where God trains us to ask him to incarnate the riches of his law and his commandments and his, his statutes into the outworkings of our lives. And it was written to be remembered. Remembered. So important is this. Each stanza, as some of you know, begins with a different letter uh, of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph in the first stanza. All seven verses start with A, to Sadi in the last stanza, where they all start with their equivalent of Z. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so there are 22 stanzas as a monomic device, as a memory aid, because it was written to be memorized, as many have done including me in seminary. <laughs> Though God knows there's no way I could do it at 67. <laughs> no way. So important is this fundamental discipline of the Christian walk that 170 verses of the most carefully crafted passage in Scripture written, were written to be memorized. They teach you that you will only obey the law as you call It's like the hymn, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. You've got a friend. He's far better than James Taylor. Jesus, what a friend of sinners. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Can't do it without him. Jesus, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing. How do I win the victory? He, my strength, my victory wins. Or I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only thee, trusting thee for full salvation. Not just from the penalty, but from the power of sin and then from the very presence of sin in heaven. We're trusting him. I am trusting thee for full salvation, great and free. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus, never let me fall. I am trusting thee forever and for all. Or Nicole C. Mullen in her famous song, Call on Jesus. I'm so very ordinary, nothing special on my own. Oh, I have never walked on water. I've never calmed the storm. Sometimes I'm hiding away for the madness around me like a child who's afraid of the dark. But when I call on Jesus, all things are possible. I can mount on wings like eagles and soar. When I call on Jesus, mountains are gonna fall because he'll move heaven and earth to come rescue me when I call. And then she addresses each of us in our need. Weary brother, broken daughter, widowed, widowed lover. If you're tired and scared of the madness around you, if you can't find the strength to carry on, when you call on Jesus, all things are possible. And what does it look like with the cookies on the very lowest shelf? Yes, it is possible to get them even lower. Down south in Houston, where Julie and I live for 12 years, there's a man who's not well known up up, up, up here, and really not all that well known down there, but he's deeply influenced my life. His name is Floyd Jones. True Texan, with his West Texas accent and all. I've told you about Floyd before. He told a lot of stories, including the one about the time when he called on the name of the Lord and experienced his power over sin. And today I'd like to tell it just like he did, down to the draw, because we're going to see that there's a lesson even in the unpretentious accent. Don't have to be educated to get this. As he put it, he heard a knock on the door, and there was his neighbor. His neighbor. His veins were distended in his neck and his mouth was wide open shouting at him. It it was open so wide, he said, I could hardly see my neighbor's eyeballs (laughs) because my dog dug up his favorite shrub. You know how it is. It's never just an ordinary crummy, creepy old shrub that your dog digs up. Oh no, this was one that his grandma sent from Australia. (laughs) Now what am I gonna do? I could say, I can't get mad. I can't lose my patience. Christians are patient, so I better stay patient. I'd like to punch him in the nose, but I'm hanging on for dear life. Christians are wise, and it would not be wise to punch him in the nose. But all that kind of thinking, he said, is in the flesh, if that's all you do. So what do you do? Well, you look at those veins on your neighbor's neck and you just start praying. Oh, Lord, thank you. I used to be just like that. Thank you, Lord, that you've changed my life and I'm not like that anymore in you. Glory to God. And thank you that, I, I've not, that he's not hit me yet. And thank you that I'm not like that because you're the real me and you're near me and you're living in me and you're available to me whenever I call on you. Now, now, go to it, Lord. And suddenly my neighbor begins to feel a little ashamed because he hears me say, I'm sorry my dog's done that. I apologize. Now, now, listen, you just... You just go to any nursery you want. Now, I know that I can't possibly replace in any way that special shrub that your grandma sent from Australia. But you go, and you buy anything you want, and I'll pay the bill. In fact, when you get back, it would pleasure me to help you plant it. And I'll try to do better in the future at keeping my dog off your yard. I'm so sorry. And you know something? That neighbor and me, we're friends now. I don't know about you, but I think we need that these days. Not just with neighbors, but in politics. From the top to the bottom. True Christians. He ended like this. You see, it's even for me. It's for everybody. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're in... Ignorant seeker or a lifelong follower of Christ. This ain't no sophisticated theology for the professor types It's a down-home doctrine for regular folks Like you and me that if you just call on the name of the Lord you shall be saved (laughs) Whether you're in the God forsaken plains of West Texas like he was or you know up here in God's country (laughs) That's what Paul meant when he said, the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what Paul meant when he said it's from faith to faith. That's what Paul meant when he said, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As the worship leaders come forward, whatever you do, don't forget to call winter, spring, summer or fall all you have to do is call and he'll be there yes he will because all things come by faith from first to last starting with the most important things let this sink in for the last time we're all children all things come by faith calling on him for your justification and for sanctification calling on him for righteousness imputed and for righteousness imparted, calling on him to be saved from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin and from the predicaments of life, calling on him to be delivered from the tyranny of works righteousness for the simplicity of faith righteousness. To obtain it all, all you have to do, if we'd all stand, is turn your eyes upon Jesus and call. Amen.